You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. And welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you comic books from all eras. I'm your host, Wes Deadair Nipe. We're getting into our next multi-part series of the podcast this time. I just got to be honest with you guys. I forgot to do the Twitter polls. It's been a crazy week, and I know that's no excuse. And you know I love your guys' input, but what I thought I'd do is make a decision, and that decision is to read you a four-part story from the Hack Slash series by Tim Seeley. These days, Tim is just kicking ass all over the place. Over at DC, he had a very successful run on the Dick Grayson series and then Nightwing. And of course, his other creator-owned work is the series Revival, which is also critically acclaimed. Everyone seems to love it as getting a television series soon. I I remember seeing the teaser trailer for it. It looks really fucking cool. But back in the day, before all that, well, I guess not even that long ago, a little over a decade ago, he was best known for the baseball bat-wielding, slasher-killing, short-skirt, sporting, goth badass Cassie Hack. When we first started off this podcast, we did Vampirella, which shows us a classic pinup style hero from the Warren comics days. Tim also went ahead and created a pinup style character, but gives her a distinctly alternative look. Honestly, aside from Brian Polito's creations in the Chaos Comics universe, like Chastity, I can't think of too many others that embrace that particular aesthetic, at least back then. Now it's a little more common, characters like Hellchild and Vampblade and the like. But back in 2004, Tim started a series of shorts that would star the character, basically one-shots, and the concept was genius. Take a comic book and make it about horror. But not just any horror. Make it about a very specific subgenre, the slasher. If you guys listen to the Dead Air podcast, my other show that I have going on, it wouldn't be any surprise to learn that I am a massive slasher fan. It's one of my favorite subgenres of horror. And even though I love horror, and I love slashers, and I love comic books, and I love female heroes, this series flew completely under my radar. And it would for a few years, until Devil's Due Publishing stopped releasing the book. And Tim took the Hackslash property over to Image Comics. Tim very smartly reintroduced us to the character by doing a full-on origin. Now, to be fair, the character had gone on a lot of adventures already, but... And, and I don't think that the character's origin was really that secret. It certainly had been retold a couple of times, I think, especially in flashbacks. But I definitely know that the, the, the theme of what made Cassie Hack the killer of killers definitely gets repeated several times over the course of the entire franchise. But in those early books, I don't think it was much of a secret. But this was an opportunity to just fully flesh it out. And so he did a story called Hack Slash, My First Maniac. The cover of which is one of only two framed and signed prints I have on my wall. The other is a revival, and both of the art is done by Jenny Frizen. Jenny is one of the greatest comic cover artists 
ever, in my opinion. Her work is just outstanding. And I met her once, and she's so fucking sweet and just humble, especially when you're standing there amongst her prints. Funny story, when I met her, I met her at Ottawa Comic Con, and I went there specifically to meet her and to basically gush and to buy some prints. And so where's her fucking table? Right next to the bathroom. And she's just got this little table and all of her arts splayed out all over it. She's next to the bathroom. You know, I'm coming up to her and I'm saying, oh, Jenny, hi, my name's Wes and I'm such a fan. I, I came here because your cover art is just absolutely amazing and it stands out amongst all the other books getting released these days. The stuff you did on Hackslash is my favorite. I love the stuff you're doing on Revival, so on and so forth. And we're going through her art and she's telling me funny stories and and we're having a good time. And every couple of minutes, the bathroom door opens and just this wave of bathroom stink just wafts through the air. And it's, it's not shit and it's not piss, but it's that bathroom, it's that public bathroom smell know the one I'm talking about. And I felt so bad for her because in my mind, I'm saying, oh my God, this is one of the most talented cover artists in the industry fucking making her sit next to a bathroom. This is poor planning. Poor fucking, like no no creator should have a setup next to the bathroom. That area should be blocked off as the bathroom area. And so we don't have tables there, but I digress. So just like when we talked about Vampirella, and you take a look at the character and you say, wow, this is a very beautiful woman and she's mostly naked. And so you think you have an idea of what the book might be like. And you look at Cassie and you see a very beautiful woman, young and skimpy clothing, and she's got a baseball bat and a knife. And, and you just think, oh my God, okay, this is trash. The good news is, is it's based around the love of the slasher genre, where you can really poke fun at the exploitative nature of the aesthetics of that subgenre. But also what Tim does and what continues to do in his writing, but in particularly in this, putting more subtext and context into all of these things. So it really makes sense that there are certain things about how she can dress and how she can behave that would make her more attractive to these slashers. And these slashers, what they are, are just like the slashers from the movies. They are these monsters, these regenerating homicidal lunatics that were once normal people. And they come back as these monsters and they have special abilities or they're very durable or they'll have mind control abilities or, 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 or acidic abilities. They have specific quirks about it. And the best thing is, is it gives you an opportunity to make all kinds of different interesting killers. So it's almost as if every month Tim was able to create another iconic slasher character. And then as the series went on, we got to have Cassie cross over with iconic characters from horror. Everyone from Herbert West from the Reanimator series to Victor Crowley from Hatchet, Chucky from Child's Play. Evil Ernie from the Chaos comics. Oh, and of course, Ash from Evil Dead had a crossover with her as well. I So uh, this character is everywhere. And once I read my first Maniac for the very first time, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with this series, this sharp commentary, no pun intended, about horror and the subgenre of the slasher films, far more clever than a lot of the other postmodern 
horror films to come out of things like Scream and Cabin in the Woods I can't stand because I always feel as though they're being derogatory towards horror, which I'm understandably protective of, but I feel as though Tim is genuinely in on the joke, loves this stuff, but also you can't ignore that sometimes it can be very silly. But in terms of a horror book, this is pretty much everything that you could want. And of course, once Image took over the publishing, they started releasing these omnibuses. And I think there's five volumes, maybe. And for a while there, it was what my roommate used to get me for birthdays and Christmas. Every time I would get another volume of these things. Now, Cassie didn't go through her adventures by herself. She had a, a partner, a big hulking gas mask wearing badass named Vlad, who was one of my favorite characters in the entire series. I, I have a few favorite characters in the series, to be fair, but I could prattle on and maybe talk about Hackslash for an hour and go into the individual storylines, but we are going to do my first Maniac, and I just, I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm actually really excited to read this because... I have not read my first Maniac since I first picked up the book years ago. So this is my first time revisiting this. So I hope this isn't a terrible idea. And uh, just to let you guys know how engrossing that this story is to me, I literally was just flipping through some pages and I ended up reading the entire story without recording. So one more time. I give you Hackslash, My First Maniac. Story by Tim Seeley. Art by Daniel Leister. Colors, Mark Englert. Letters by Crank. Edits, James Louder. Cassie Hack, created by Tim Seeley, with Stefano Caselli. We open to a page of a diary, lined paper. On the corner, a crudely drawn unicorn, surrounded by flying hearts. Down in the corner of the page, a pink flower with a crudely drawn bee buzzing around it. The lined paper burns away, and we see an old, heavy-set woman with a horribly scarred face, stringy gray hair, both her eyes smoldering. Gunshot wounds have blown out her face. Blood and brains are on the back of a tiled wall. Cassie's Narration this diary should be full of teenage girl thoughts, diatribes about backstabbing friends, little notes concerning my waning interest in my chemical romance, and finding love with old Nirvana records, vivid descriptions of what I wish Jeff Fry from Fourth Period Study Hall would do to me on the couch when my mom and dad aren't home. But I can't think about those things. Not now. Maybe never again. There are so many other things running through my head, on a loop, obsessive, constant, louder, and louder, and louder. A gun is a lot heavier than you think it's going to be. We see Cassie Hack, young, black shoulder-length hair, thick rim glasses. She's wearing a school uniform, black skirt, blue sweater, white buttoned-up shirt. She's holding a gun. It's smoking, and she's standing in front of the body of this old, heavy-set woman. Behind her, another girl in a school uniform is taped down on a table in this kitchen. Her narration continues. I'm in that kitchen at my school. Not my first school. The all-girls school they put me in after my mom killed anyone who bullied me 
then serve them as lunch. And I'm feeling deja vu, because the kitchen is where my mom's story ended the first time. Cassie looks over. In the foreground, this girl, taped down to the table, is blindfolded with a gag in her mouth. But it didn't end. It started again. And she followed me here. She grabbed some girls. Anne-Marie Saint. Stephanie Gray. She gutted them and hung them in the freezer. And this girl. This girl whose name I can't remember because all I can think of is the smell of the gunshots and the weight of the gun and how I'm looking at my mom dead on the floor. Because she can't be dead. Because she's already dead. Cassie now has her mother on a push dolly and she's hurrying her down the hallway surrounded by lockers to the exits of the school. Over and over, you killed your mother. You don't even have a dad. You don't have enough parents to go around wasting them like this. An exterior shot, it's night and raining. A white cubed van heads down the road. I'm not thinking about the way my mom smelled like burnt hair and dirt, about how her voice sounded. It wasn't the sweet, syrupy tone with the hint of a southern accent she always had, even when she was sticking her head into a pot of boiling gravy to avoid being arrested. It was oppressive and harsh, like the sound of your head before a panic attack. Cassie, standing in the rain over an open grave, looks somberly down. I'm thinking about how I just put two bullets into the face of the woman who used to kiss my forehead before I went to sleep. I'm thinking about how I'm a killer, just like she was. And how maybe, right now, I could kill anyone, everyone in the world. Cassie, pushing the dolly, her mother's body now covered in a large tarp. The rain still beats down on her. I'm thinking about the weight of that gun, and the way it kicked, and whether Sue Ellen Myers, that's her name, well, no, it was me who saved her life. No, it was me who endangered it by coming to her school and bringing my mother's anger down on her little blonde head. I'm not thinking about the fact that this woman, who I watched die, shouldn't be out of the ground, because that makes no sense. I'm just feeling guilty and horrible, like I betrayed her after she cooked me all those meals and bought me that Barbie and hugged me when my dad left to get cigarettes and never came back. I'm thinking about how I have to get her home. I owe her at least that much. And right now, home is a hole in the ground. Then, for a second, the shock and the fear and the anger wear off. And I'm jealous because my mom is going home. And that's something I will never do again. We see the gravestone of her mother, Delilah Hack, beloved mother and wife, 1965 to 2004. Now the grave covered, Cassie walking away with a shovel in her hand. An establishing shot. Cassie is out of her school uniform and into pink shorts and a tank top. She's asleep, face first in bed, her closed diary next to her, a pencil in her other hand. The caption reads, This is not home. From off panel, Cassie, time for school. We see a woman in a pink sweater with a zero on it. She's blonde and has a big smile on her face. Cassie is sitting up in bed, facing her. This is the home of Shannon and Karen Moore, my foster parents. Karen talks fast and runs short words into one big word and makes really good meatloaf. She's nice and good and does everything she can to help. I hate her. Cassie is looking down at her school uniform and shoes, covered in mud and blood. Karen, did you, uh... Wash my other uniform? Oh yeah, sure. Still warm from the dryer, I bet. Let me get it for you. She sleeps soundly, 
Earplugs in her ears so she doesn't hear Shannon snore. A close-up of Cassie's foot stepping down into the blood and mud and dirty laundry of her floor. Thanks. She didn't hear me come in at four. We see her foster mother, Karen, holding a clean, folded school uniform. Just like I said. I hate her because she acts as if she's my mother. But she's not my mother. And for a second, I wonder what my life would have been like if Karen had been my mom. Instead of Delilah Hack, who never got over her husband leaving her. Who did everything she could to keep her daughter safe from the evils of the world. We now see a mirrored panel. Instead of Karen, it is now Delilah Hack. Doesn't look too dissimilar. Just maybe a little bit heavier. Light brown hair instead of blonde. Instead of a school uniform, it's standard folded clothes. The next panel is what Delilah Hack would become. Grotesque. Misshapen. A cruel smile and rotted lips exposing part of her jaw. Instead of folded clothes, she is holding a pile of entrails. Safe from everything except her. An establishing shot of the Moore's kitchen. Cassie's stepfather, Shannon, is standing there in a plaid shirt holding a coffee. He's got brown hair, a widow's peak, and a thick brown beard. Morning, Cass. You look kind of tired. I just could not stop reading about Edward and Bella. OMG, what a romance. Shannon Moore is already afraid of me. Not of what I really am. He fears the fact that I'm a teenage girl. A mortal archenemy destined to spurn his rules and squeal about things he couldn't possibly fathom. It keeps him from trying to act like my father. I like it that way. We see Cassie's feet as she leaves the home, walking down the walkway to the street. The rain from last night has caused the earthworms to squirm on the pavement under her feet. Her foster parents, Shannon holding his coffee, Karen just waving, say goodbye to her. I don't wonder what it'd be like if Shannon Moore was my dad instead of Jack Hack. I just wondered how afraid of me he'd be if he knew I'd spent the previous night throwing wet dirt onto a corpse watching worms fall out of the grave walls onto the body. As soon as I set foot onto school grounds, I hear the buzzing. They found Sue Ellen Myers this morning. Yeah, in one piece, and in the cafeteria of all places. She's alive? I wanted her spot on the cheer squad. What a downer. No one knows who kidnapped her, or that I had anything to do with her rescue. Cassie is getting some books out of her locker. Other classmates, a group of girls, maybe the mean girls, giving her sour looks. But they look at me accusingly anyway. I'm the new girl. The one who lives with foster parents and has glasses that were out of fashion five years ago. Cassie looking tired, bored, reading from a plain book while a teacher puzzles at her and holds his chin. Even the teachers can tell something's wrong. Their heightened senses, so attuned to teenagers, warn them to keep me in their sights, not to turn their backs. All day I feel the stares, so much so that after a while I feel like I'm outside of my own body, staring right along with them, accusing myself. It's not until my elective gym class, fifth period, that I come back to my own body. Here, my body is a vessel, a blunt object, an untouchable spiny shell. We have two panels here, one of Cassie delivering a very strong roundhouse kick to a heavy bag, and then other, a tighter close-up of her, sweating... Through her t-shirt, beads of sweat flying off of her face as she delivers a powerful cross. Now a panel, Cassie showering, her back revealing three bruises. In the showers, my armor is off, and I'm on display. Bruises I didn't feel last night, high on fear and adrenaline, boil to the surface. Here, 
Girls blessed with beautiful bodies and perfect skin cast barbed remarks to those less perfect, the weaker. They don't waste words on me. And we see these mean girls pointing and scoffing at this heavier girl. School now over, Cassie is walking away. Three girls, a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead, follow closely behind her. It's not weakness they sense from me. It's an otherness, a wrongness. Cassie now into a more secluded wooded area just outside the school grounds. The girls are closing in, the blonde one hurrying ahead of the other two to catch up to Cassie, to cut her off. You almost can't blame them for what they're about to do. Without warning, the blonde girl delivers a punch right to Cassie's face. Her nose explodes in blood and her glasses break right down the middle. They say the usual things. Cunt. Bitch. Slut. But it's not the words. It's the way the girls say these things that make them weapons. A second attack nails down Cassie's face, drawing blood down her cheek and over her eye. But they also say they know I have something to do with the disappearance of Anne-Marie Saint and Stephanie Gray. Now, Cassie in a fetal position in the wooded area as the sun sets, all three girls taking turns, punching and stomping on her. They know it. They just can't prove it. And so they resort to weapons other than words. A close-up of Cassie, bleeding, her uniform torn, her eyes closed. One of the girls pulling her hair, I could fight back, become a blunt object. Close-up panel of Cassie's fist, clenched and shaking in the dirt. But I might kill them. Her fist goes relaxed. And I deserve this. In a daze, her uniform torn, she's dirty, bloody, and bruised, leaves in her hair, her backpack open, papers fluttering out as she approaches her house. Her stance is completely uneven. Looks like she just might fall over. I'm in a daze, dried up and depleted like the earthworms that didn't make it back to the ground before the sun cooked them. Her foster mother, Karen, sees her from the window as Cassie tries to open the front door. The new bruises don't hold off their debut like the ones from last night, and the dull buzz in my head makes everything seem like I'm remembering it from some point in the future, instead of living it. As the door swings open, Cassie collapses and falls forward. Karen is there to catch her. Karen doesn't say anything, but as she grabs me, I let myself think that maybe I imagined it. Maybe last night was just a collection of nightmare images half-remembered and fading. Now in the bathroom, Cassie sitting on the toilet, Karen tending to her wounds, trying to clean her up, holding a bottle of iodine. And at that moment, I'm just Cassandra Hack, a teenage girl, the woman who acts like my mother isn't trying to protect me from the world's evil by dicing up bullies and serving them on a plastic tray. It's now night. Shannon and Cassie are watching a movie together, lit by only the glow of the TV. Cassie has leaned into him. They're both smiling. When Shannon comes home, we sit on the couch and watch a sappy movie. He lets me lean on him, and he doesn't seem afraid at all. We're not mortal enemies right now. I'm not an other, and I'm not wrong. Shannon laughing and pointing at the screen. Cassie with a weak look on her face. She still has a fairly significant bruise over her eye. She closes her eyes. My thoughts slow down. Quiet. Silent. Save one sentence. A black panel. The words in white. You've come home. Another black panel. The screen of the computer. A word gets typed in. Killer. Cassie Hack now looking at... What would be a MacBook, but it seems like it has a pear symbol on the back of the laptop. 
instead of a, a Macintosh apple. Very funny. Behind her, the image of her mother, Delilah Hack, scarred, stringy, white hair, bloody smock, hulking in a way. Delilah Hack was dead, but death didn't stop her. Maybe my mom was unique. A woman who dug her way out of her own coffin so she could continue what she'd begun in life. With her computer, we now see Cassie is doing various searches on the internet for killers and resurrection. She sees articles about zombies, vampires, maniacs, ghosts, hellspawn, and rabid dogs. The hellspawn, by the way, is actually Image Comics spawn. The vampire looks to be Edward? Was that the guy from Twilight? That guy, yeah. Stories about returning from the dead are as old as the human race. Maybe they help people deal with the fear of death, the terror at the thought of rotting, and returning to the earth and leaving no proof you ever existed. Below all the search engines is a shot of Jesus Christ, crucified. The Bible says Jesus Christ died for our sins and returned to show his love. What about those who died for their own sins and returned to show their hate? What we have here is a very beautiful splash page that has a collection of all of the slashers that Cassie has encountered thus far. Beforehand, like I said, the, the My First Maniac story may be the origin of Cassie Hack, but there was many stories beforehand. And what we have is just a rendition of all of the bigger characters that uh, Cassie has encountered. It's absolutely beautiful. We have everything from killer rockers to the hyper concept, Mary Shelley, Lovecraft, the the priest. We have evil dolls. We have the, the, the doctor, uh, the tin man, everything that you can possibly think of. Now an establishing shot, a farm, a group of youths standing around a burning trash can, having drinks, having fun. The caption, Manchester, Iowa, Cassie's narration. What about the ones who didn't rot and were unable to even move on to hell? The close-up of the teens, they're smiling, drinking beer. A couple, standard, good-looking guy, short brown hair, good-looking girl, blonde hair with pink highlights. Cassie's narration. Maybe their torment is knowing that, despite their best efforts, people still live. Life is still long and hard or short and joyous. This young hot couple steals off for some privacy. One of the partygoers calls out to them, watch out for Farmer Fig. This couple making out behind the barn amongst bales of hay. Either way, it's dictated by a complex web of desires and needs, thoughts and impulses. This young lady crouches down south and is undoing this man's pants. Licking her lips, she looks up at him. The young still believe they're mortal. But in the background, in shadows, we see a mysterious figure with a red striped shirt, a hammer in his hand, and a wide, rictus grin. Splash page. Amongst the cornstalks, we see a close-up of this killer. He's got long, stringy black hair, pure white eyes, his rictus grin is because he has no lips of any sorts. And his striped shirt, kind of like a Freddy Krueger thing, but it's a hoodie and not a traditional sweater. Cassie's narration reads, And death, though it's always lurking nearby, is the furthest thing from their minds. Now an establishing shot. Cassie is in bed again. It's identical to the shot before, except now 
She's not wearing glasses, and she has far more visible bruises. Karen shouts, Cassie, time for school. A mirrored panel from the one from the previous pages. Cassie is sitting up in bed. I feel like someone else. Cassie going through the routines, now heading to school. As soon as I step foot onto school grounds, I hear the buzzing. I feel the stairs. I hear Rihanna Stegman kicked her ass yesterday. Rihanna says she knows the newbie killed Anne-Marie. Saint's dead for sure? I wanted her spot in cheer squad. Like, awesome. But now I don't mind. I'm a blunt weapon. We see Cassie delivering a roundhouse kick to that heavy bag. And again, showering with far more bruises than she had previously. Her back, her stomach, her arm covered. Today, the bruises are my armor. Now as Cassie leaves school, she notices that she's being followed by those same three girls. It's not weakness they sense from me. It's an otherness, a wrongness, a close-up of Cassie. She's made a decision, determined. The panel is black except for her face, and I can use that. The same panel. It actually is the exact same panel. Cassie even has her glasses back in this panel, and she doesn't look nearly as damaged as she did before, but that's all right. Sometimes it's more economical to do things like this. The blonde, now we know as Rihanna, speaks up. Are you going to tell us what you did with Anne-Marie, you little whore? Or is every day going to be like yesterday? Now, Rihanna's face in shock as Cassie lunges towards her, her fist reeled back. I deserve this. Cassie delivers a straight shot and is pulling her fist back. And we can see that Rihanna's face is just a bloodied mess. And they've done a really nice job here. It's a ballet of blood. You can use blood to indicate motion in your panels by having the, the stream of blood for where Cassie made impact. And she pulls her fist back, creates these gooey streams of just dotted gore everywhere it's fucking gorgeous and cassie just has this mean look in her face and she's got that really bright shiner so looks fucking badass i hit her fast and hard her friends are too surprised or scared to even help and when she's down i use the other weapon on her you see cassie lean into rihanna's just busted up face if you ever touch me again i'll fucking kill you and they will never find your body rihanna's friends tend to her they look scared as cassie walks off into the sunset it's not the words it's the way i say them that makes her believe me cassie now sitting in bed with her laptop on her lap there are others like my mom or at least stories about them a man who kills in dreams in ohio a masked maniac who terrorizes a small town on Halloween. A camp plagued for 30 years by a psycho who won't die. Think we all know who she's referencing. Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees. Nice, nice touches. Like, this is where I'm reading this book for the first time and getting really happy, really happy. A close-up of Cassie's face. She looks solemn worried but determined they might just be stories sleazy tales of murder and sex to excite bored teenagers they might just be modern day morality tales but maybe not we now see cassie and her foster parents sitting in a kitchen playing a board game looks like it might be i don't know what it is something i'm not really that familiar with board games oh you know what i think it's the game of life or monopoly 
I don't know. Anyway. That night, I spend time with Karen and Shannon. Shannon makes fun of Karen for the way she always manages to walk into a room just after he's ducked into it to fart. Karen does a spit take when he does an impression of his mother-in-law. An honest-to-goodness spit take. And sure enough, Karen takes a big sip of juice, and then she spits it out. Cassie laughs along. She's having a good time. They're both nice and good, and human. With them, I could have what I never had before. That only makes what I have to do even harder. And of course we see Cassie floating outside of the panel, surrounded in blackness. She looks worried. We now see Karen and Shannon sleeping in bed. Shannon is snoring or murmuring in his sleep. We see a close-up on his face, and then into the panel, a large knife. He wakes up when Cassie says his name. Shannon. Cassie, now with a knife to Shannon's throat. She's wearing a gray hoodie with a hood up. She has a finger to her lips, indicating him to shush. Shannon says, Cassie? Yeah, daddy. Don't talk, and don't move too fast. You've got a really sharp knife about half a centimeter from your jugular. Shannon looks terrified as Cassie leans into him. Karen is fine. As long as we don't wake her, she doesn't need to be involved. A close-up of Cassie's face. She has a stone-cold expression on her face. Here's how it's going to be. I'm leaving, and I'm never coming back. I don't want to be followed. You'll tell human services that I must have snuck out, that I left no clue where I was going. A close-up of Shannon's face. You won't look for me. You won't help anyone look for me. You will remember me this way. A dangerous, psychotic little bitch. Cassie, now holding the knife to her face. If you do not follow my rules. She slams the knife down. And it makes a shunk sound. Shannon's face looks shocked. There's a red tinge on the panel. And as we pan out to the next panel, we see Cassie has plunged the knife right down in front of his crotch, narrowly missing, stabbing him right in the dick. Now raining, Cassie wearing a skirt, boots, gray hoodie zipped up with the hood up. She's holding a baseball bat and a shovel. There are other killers like my mom out there. I know what to look for. I can find them. I can kill them. I did it once already. We see Cassie loading up her gear into the back of that white cubed van. So I switch the plates with my mom's old car. Shannon's fear will keep him from following me. That's important. The rain obscuring some of the panel, Cassie is just finishing up, loading up the back of the van. If I'm going to take the fight to all of those revenge-obsessed killers, I can't have bystanders. Family. Collateral. Everyone needs to fear me. They need to watch their backs around me and talk about me in frightened whispers and never want to make me part of their homes. Home is a place I will never have again. Cassie now, pulling her hood down. She's holding the gun that she used to kill her mother yet again. She contemplates while looking at it. Now in the driver's seat of this van, she's getting ready to pull away from her foster home. We can see in the window the silhouette of Shannon watching her leave. There's a story making the rounds about a farmer in Iowa who came back from the dead to kill anyone who stepped foot in his fields. Anyone who tried to touch his daughter. Goddamn parents. My mom became something else. Something that existed only to stab and hate and slash. Now I'm something else too. This is the diary of Cassandra Hack. 
and the page turns back into that lined, burned pages of her diary. And in handwritten pencil, loner, outsider, slasher hunter. And next to it is a crude drawing of a bunny. To be continued. And there we have it. So, woof. That is one angst-fueled lady. I fucking love it. And I hope you guys are enjoying it too. There's a few more parts to this story. As Cassie is going to encounter her first slasher that's not her own mother. Anyways, if you guys want to leave comments or hit me up on Twitter, I'm at Wes Knife. I always love to hear from you guys. You guys can also comment on SoundCloud or on SplatterPictures.net. We have a Facebook group, too, that it's Splatter Pictures. You can search for and find it. So, yeah, I will see you next time. We will tackle the next issue of Hackslash, My First Maniac. I'm Wes Knife, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.